This episode contains descriptions of automobile accidents, death, and suicide, along with brief references to domestic abuse. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. If you or someone you love is struggling with suicidal thoughts or the impulse to self-harm, please seek help. The United States National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The following is an excerpt from Edith Nesbitt's The Violet Car, where an in-home psychiatric nurse discovers one of her patients has followed her on a walk on a country road. I walked up the lane. I had promised him to stand at that corner for five minutes, and I stood there in the deepening dusk, looking up towards the downs and the sea. There were pale stars. Everything was very still. Then I saw that he had followed me. He was standing a dozen yards away, and his face was turned from me. It was turned toward a motor car that shot up the lane. It came very swiftly, and before it came to where he was, I knew that it was very horrible. I crushed myself back into the crackling bare hedge, as I should have done to leave room for the passage of a real car, though I knew that this one was not real. It looked real, but I knew it was not. Hi everyone. I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's story is our second tale from English author Edith Nesbitt. Nesbitt was known for her fantastical children's stories and is considered by some to be the first modern writer for children's literature. Her ghost stories, however, have the same propensity for the extraordinary that make her children's work famous. And there's perhaps no better example than her 1910 short story, The Violet Car. It's a tale about the horror of modern machines, the doubts we have about our own sense of reality, and its titular purple automobile was perhaps the first introduction of a new literary trope, the haunted car. Coming up, we'll start our ghostly engines. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into.
Agatha yelped as the seat shook beneath her. She'd only ever been in a motor car once before, and she still wasn't used to the chaos of it all. The rumbling of the road, the acrid smell of petrol, and the bright violet automobile driving her from the train station was no exception. She felt like she was in a garish hearse. Agatha looked out the window to calm her nerves and shivered. Outside, a low-hanging fog had rolled in from the ocean, the cold mist chilling the air. She'd never been to Charlestown before, and she suspected it would not be her favorite seaside village. But no matter. She wasn't on holiday. She had traveled there for work. Mr. Robert Eldridge had hired her as a psychiatric nurse for his wife Ellen, who he said could not perceive reality. Agatha had taken the posting, eager to leave London for the countryside. But after hours on the train, she discovered Mr. Eldridge hadn't sent anyone to meet her at the station. It was unusual and rude. Fortunately, a kind woman with an adorable child she met at the station had agreed to drive her. Agatha did her best to be friendly despite her exhaustion, asking Mrs. Lofton about her new car. How independent she seemed, a young widow with a new automobile. But when Agatha told Mrs. Lofton her intended destination, she watched the woman's mood darken. The three of them drove in silence over rolling farmland before the car suddenly stopped. Mrs. Lofton nodded down the lane. You'll have to walk from here, I'm afraid. Agatha squinted into the distance to see the Eldridge house perhaps a mile away. The road didn't look too bumpy, but Agatha really didn't know much about cars. So she took Mrs. Lofton at her word and hopped out with her suitcase, making the long trek to ring the Eldridge's bell. Mrs. Eldridge, or Ellen as she preferred to be called, opened the door. She had a quiet elegance to her. Agatha knew appearances could be deceiving in cases like these, but Ellen's eyes were bright and her smile was inviting. There were no clear signs of any sort of dementia or illness. Ellen took Agatha's coat and invited her inside. As she stepped into the foyer, Agatha gently asked if Ellen knew why she was here. The farmer's wife was serene. It's not me that's ill, it's him. The sound of heavy boots clunked down the wooden stairs and soon Agatha was face to face with her employer, Mr. Robert Eldridge. He was an imposing man, tall but hunched with a shock of salt and pepper hair. Ellen gave Agatha a knowing look and scurried off to prepare the guest room. Robert sat down and lit his pipe. You take care of Ellen, yes? We must keep her inside. I don't want her wandering into town, talking to people. Agatha resisted her need to cough from the pipe smoke and asked, What form do her illusions take? Robert barked out a laugh. <laughs> she thinks I'm mad. Agatha kept her face impassive as she asked if there was anything else she needed to know about Ellen's condition. Robert puffed on his pipe as he considered the question. Hmm, she can't hear things I hear, or see things I see, or even smell things that I smell. It's most peculiar. He trailed off, then gave Agatha a strange, vacant look. Did you hear a motor car earlier? 
Agatha told him she had and explained her trip with Mrs. Lofton and her child. Robert's eyes suddenly burned with rage. Lofton! Agatha nodded, bracing herself for whatever anger was building in the old man, but Robert just muttered, Brave of her, as he walked away without another word. That night, Agatha made herself at home in the Eldridge's modest guest room and spent the next day and much of that week simply observing the couple. Whatever tensions existed in the Eldridge's marriage, she rarely saw them, and neither did she see any sign of the ill woman that Robert had described. Agatha spent all her time with Ellen and only found her welcoming and forthcoming, and in his own gruff way, Robert was too. But most notably, they treated each other with incredible tenderness. The couple was very openly in love. After some time, Agatha wasn't sure the Eldridges even needed a nurse, and she grew uncomfortable with taking their money. She confided this to Ellen one evening as they prepared dinner. Ellen shook her head. You are entirely necessary, my dear. You provide much-needed clarity. But when Agatha asked why, Ellen only went back to whistling as she needed bread. It was a mystery with very few clues, but there was one avenue that remained unexplored, the one area of the Eldridge's life that Agatha was not invited to, their evening walks. It was a very rigid routine the couple had adhered to since Agatha arrived, and a troubling one at that. Each day, they left at dusk, hand in hand, and headed up the country road. And when they returned, Ellen was always in tears, and Robert would not speak at all. Agatha did her best to keep her curiosity at bay, but when she saw no change in this pattern after several weeks, she was forced to do something she wasn't proud of. After all, she couldn't solve the problem if she didn't know what it was. So, one evening, she pretended to run an errand. She left the house before the couple's walk and then hid behind the barn. Agatha watched as they left the house, Robert holding Ellen's hand tightly as they walked down the dirt road. Agatha followed at a careful distance, prepared to dart into a bush to avoid detection if necessary. Soon the Eldridges began to speak in hushed voices and picked up their pace. Ellen, clearly distressed, made a soft wailing noise before the sound was swallowed by the wind. Agatha wanted nothing more than to be by her side, but she was certain they would not reveal the source of their disagreement if they knew they were being observed. Suddenly, both Eldridges stopped and turned. Agatha crouched behind a bush. She saw Ellen tug on Robert's sleeve as he pointed down the road to the exact spot where Agatha was hiding. Agatha braced herself for the worst. She'd seen patients fly into a rage before. They would scream and spit, and she'd have to remain as unflappable as she could. Robert, however, decided on a different strategy. He peered at Agatha's hiding spot, his eyes wild. They somehow widened even further. Then he whirled back and threw Ellen down onto the shoulder of the road. Ellen let out a cry as Robert dove after her. Agatha's blood ran cold. 
How had they concealed this violence from her? And why did it happen only here? She considered stepping out of her hiding place, but she raised her head to see Ellen consoling Robert. Agatha knew better than to intervene in the moment. She'd seen the consequences play out horribly in the past, but hopefully she could reach Ellen alone before things got worse. She needed to keep her safe. Agatha scurried from her hiding place back to the house, the image of Ellen's small frame being slammed to the ground playing over and over in her mind. Just minutes later, she heard the door slam shut downstairs. She took a deep breath and ventured out. Agatha approached the door to the Eldridge's bedroom slowly. Her knock was soft but insistent. Then she opened the door. Ellen sat hunched on the bed, her face streaked with tears. Agatha's heart ached for the poor woman, but she pressed on. I saw what happened on the road. I need you to know that it's not your fault. I can help you. Ellen shook her head. I told you my husband is unwell. Agatha nodded. Yes, but he struggles with anger. Ellen looked at her, puzzled. No, not anger. Sadness. We lost our daughter Nellie last year, and Robert was such a devoted father. When I say he's ill, I do mean it. He threw me to the ground because he thought he was protecting me from a car. To be more specific, the violet car that, that killed our daughter. Something about the word violet set off an alarm in Agatha's head, but she brushed it off, instead focusing on poor Ellen. Agatha knew grief carved people into different versions of themselves, but she wasn't entirely ready to absolve Robert for what he'd done. First, she asked Ellen to explain what had happened to their daughter. And so she did. Evening walks had always been the couple's favorite pastime, They'd taken them almost every day with their daughter Nellie since she was small. Back then, Nellie loved to run alongside the carriage road. Her feet would kick up the dust as she dashed ahead. It was a habit she continued as she grew, wandering ahead of her parents as they strolled hand in hand behind her. They never worried about automobiles because no one in their town had ever owned one. So one evening, when the ground started to rumble around them, Ellen assumed that there was some sort of natural disaster. Robert cautioned her to stay calm. They barely saw the car before it was right behind Nellie. They heard her scream, but the sound of the car slamming into her was louder than anything else. The car continued down the road as though nothing had happened. Robert and Ellen raced to their child. Blood coated the dirt around her and her body lay broken and crumpled on the road. Ellen screamed for the driver to come back, but he was far gone. Robert picked Nellie up and ran to the village. Ellen saw her daughter's head jostle about as he ran. And soon, the ragged sinews that held it in place gave way. Ellen screamed at Robert to be more careful but it was too late. Their darling Nellie's head dropped to the ground. 
Agatha's mind reeled. She couldn't have imagined the horrors that the Eldridges had experienced. She tried to muster a professional tone as she placed her hand on Ellen's shoulder. I'm so sorry, Ellen. Ellen's eyes were tearing again. No, I'm sorry. We should have told you sooner. He sees every day the car. He hears it in the night. It won't let him rest. Every night he insists we walk the road along the cliff and every night he hears the ground shake. He claims the violet car is coming for us. He says I'm mad because I can't see it. But you didn't see it, did you, Agatha? Agatha shook her head slowly. No. She had her answer, but now she was even more uncertain. Robert's eyes had been so panicked, his body so stiff. It was a visceral response, too real to have been created by a theater of the mind. Was Robert Eldridge haunted by a dark memory or an unseen spirit? Up next, Agatha struggles to decide whether it's Ellen or Robert who is suffering more. Every so often, something so impactful happens, it has the power to capture the attention of a whole country. An event so deadly or dumbfounding, it has no choice but to live on in infamy. Hi, Parcasters. It's Ashley Flowers, and I'm exposing the most sinister cases from the darkest corners of the globe in my new true crime limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, come along as I guide you on a wicked world tour. 15 different countries, 15 infamous crimes. Take a trip to Iceland where six people confessed to a murder that never actually happened. Journey to Mexico where a Lucha Libre wrestler moonlights as a serial killer. And travel to New Zealand where two friends hatch a deadly plan to become famous. Each episode of International Infamy explores the twists and turns of a notoriously high-profile case, zeroing in on the cultural details which make the crime unique to its location, and explaining why it couldn't have happened anywhere else. Follow my new Spotify original from ParCast, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers, and catch a new episode every week. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Now, back to the story. Agatha was reeling. She could never have guessed the Eldridge family's secret. A daughter killed in a horrible hit-and-run automobile accident. Agatha was a psychiatric nurse, and her new employers had suffered more than she had guessed. And yet, they only allowed themselves to grieve on their daily walk at dusk. That's where Robert claimed to see the specter of the violet car that killed their child. His wife Ellen did her best to collect herself. She confessed that for a while, she wasn't sure which of them was struggling with reality. Robert's certainty that she was the one suffering from delusions that had crept into her mind 
She was relieved that an outside observer like Agatha could confirm that no such phantom car existed. And now, they could simply go about getting Robert the help he needed. Agatha, however, wasn't sure she was equipped to handle the severity of Robert's hallucinations. She was a nurse, not a spirit medium. So she tried to think of the quandary as a matter of evidence. The first step would be to see if Robert saw this phantom car when Ellen wasn't around. She raised the idea to Ellen, but she resisted, telling Agatha she wouldn't allow her to walk with Robert alone. He could be too unpredictable. Agatha assured her that she could take care of herself. She spoke as gently and simply as she could. Ellen, I believe I have to walk with Robert alone. You see, his delusion may not persist without you. Have you considered that the schism between you has nothing to do with a phantom car? Perhaps there are things you've both left unsaid about that terrible day. Ellen's voice hardened for the first time since Agatha had met her. I do not blame him for what happened, and he does not blame me if that's what you mean. Agatha nodded, trying to hide her embarrassment at overplaying her hand. I understand, but please let me try. Ellen did not protest further. Later that day, Agatha approached a wary Robert with her request. Mrs. Eldridge told me the purpose of your evening walks, and I'm requesting to accompany you. You sent for me to aid with the family's troubles, but I can't do my job if you won't let me in. I believe that you see what you've seen. I only want to help. She was unprepared for the raw sadness on Robert's face. His voice choked with tears as he replied, And what if I'm beyond help? What if I don't deserve it? Agatha did not waver. We all deserve help, sir. Robert thought for a moment, then opened the front door, inviting Agatha to join him on the road. They walked along in silence until they came to a bend in the road. As the darkness began to swallow them, Robert spoke. Tell me, does the man who killed my little girl deserve help? Agatha found herself at a loss for words. That is perhaps a question for a priest, Mr. Eldridge, but I would be bound by my profession to help him if we found him lying on this road. His hollow laugh returned. <laughs> that would be unlikely, though you might have to help his callous widow if she drives as badly as he does. I can't believe she purchased the same car again, the same violet car. Agatha suddenly realized why Robert was so upset the first day she'd met him. Mrs. Lofton, the woman who'd driven her to the house in a violet car, she was the widow of the man who killed Nellie. No wonder she didn't want to drive Agatha all the way up to the door. Agatha probed further. The same car? What happened to the first? And why is Mrs. Lofton a widow? Robert kept walking the dark lane as he spoke, the lights of the farm moving further away. 
Exactly one year after our daughter was buried, Lofton and his violet car crashed over a cliff into the sea. <laughs> Ellen thought it was a sad coincidence, or that maybe Lofton's guilt for killing Nellie was too much to bear. Agatha felt her stomach turn. And what do you think it was? Robert's face twisted in disgust. It was no coincidence, and that horrible little man felt no guilt. He thought he got away with it. Why, he told the magistrate it was an accident. The old fool believed it, and everyone forgot. No, everyone decided to forget, except us. Agatha didn't want to know, but she had to. Robert, what did you do? He explained. I had just returned from visiting my daughter's grave when Lofton pulled up in his violent monstrosity. He asked me if there was a back road to London as the sun was already going down. Agatha was astounded at Lofton's gall. He didn't realize you were Nellie's father? Robert laughed. Ha! <laughs> he was too drunk to tell. And we'd never been close. Different sides of the village. Ah, the sight of that car reduced me to my bare estate. So I offered him some neighborly advice. I told him to drive straight ahead, knowing full well that the road curved as it reached the sea. I watched him hit the accelerator. And I smiled as I heard the car hit the water below. Agatha looked away as Robert's chuckling turned into choked sobs. He needed a moment alone with his thoughts, and so did she. She turned back as he spoke again. You think that I'm wrong for it? I disagreed at the time, but God has seen fit to intervene. That phantom car follows me and Ellen from the moment we step out the door. I know my wife lies about seeing it because she's frightened, but you must convince her to see reality. His posture stiffened with a strange kind of pride and duty. I believe the only thing that keeps it from killing again is my witnessing the horror every night. So, every evening I return here and watch it over and over again. The idea was preposterous. This was the delusion that the Eldridges hid from the world. Robert's guilt over his own helplessness in an accident had manifested into something darker, a compulsion that continued to traumatize him. Agatha now realized she had to tell him so. She stopped in the road to look him in the eyes. You believe this delusion because it gives you power over something you could never hope to control, just as giving your daughter's killer the wrong directions gave you power but we all belong to ourselves, Mr. Eldridge. This phantom violet car can't hurt you. Robert looked back to the house. Agatha could imagine Ellen waiting at the window to see what unfolded, but the dying light had turned the home into nothing more than a shadow. Robert sighed. I shall have to show you then. Then he led her further into the dark. As they walked along the road toward the sea, 
The mist from the coast grew denser, gathering around Agatha's skirts until she couldn't see her feet. Robert kept glancing behind him, but he never explained what he was staring at. Agatha's gaze would follow each time, but she only heard the soft hum of the ocean. Then Agatha's ears picked up the faint rumble of a distant motor. But even if it was the widow and her boy in the violet car, there was nothing to worry about. Agatha knew the woman was averse to driving anywhere near the Eldridge property. As they moved closer to the cliffside, Robert insisted that Agatha walk in front of him. She did as he asked, but she didn't like it. Being able to see your patients was vital when they were prone to issues with emotion regulation. She walked for several yards before she realized that she could no longer hear Robert's footsteps behind hers. She turned, alarmed, and searched the fading dusk for his tall, hunched figure. That's when she saw him lay down in the middle of the road. The ground rumbled softly. Agatha looked about and strained her ears for a car or a carriage, but she couldn't see or hear anything. Agatha shouted to Robert, asking him what he was doing. Her voice was desperate as she asked him to stand up, but he stayed put. Panic rose in her chest as she felt the rumble beneath her feet. Something was coming in the distance. Agatha ran to Robert. She could see the resignation on his face as she ran closer. He wanted this, but Agatha wasn't willing to let him go. She tried to pull him up, but Robert shoved her back as the road began to shake. Just then, Agatha saw a flash of recognition in his eyes. She looked up to see the gleaming violet car roar toward the cliff, toward them. Agatha begged Robert to get up, to think of his Ellen. But by the time she said the words, it was too late. There was a screech of metal on bone as the violet car ran straight over Robert and kept on going. Agatha felt the wind change as the car drove past her, its violet color singed in her mind as it careened off the cliff and crashed into the water below. Agatha rushed to Robert. His eyes were wide and glassy, but his mouth was closed in a firm line of resignation. The thing that terrified her, however, was not that a violet car had killed Robert just as it had his daughter. It was the state of Robert's body. She'd seen the car obliterate him, but there were no tire marks or blood. There were no signs of damage at all. Later, the Eldridge family physician would say it was a heart attack, but Agatha knew better. She'd seen that violet car crush Robert. She'd seen it tumble off the cliff. And when it sped by her, she'd seen that the driver's seat was empty. Seventy-three years before Stephen King's malevolent muscle car novel Christine roared off the presses, there was Edith Nesbitt's The Violet Car. 
While King's story focuses on the fear of a used vehicle's dark past, the Violet car is about the anxiety surrounding the dangers of automobiles themselves. Cars had been used in Britain for less than 20 years when the story was published in 1910, and while their popularity was climbing, their accident rates were too. Early 20th century car crashes were a truly grisly sight, especially when they involved pedestrians. The Violet car uses this macabre fact to explore how losing a child affects a marriage. While the death of any child is traumatic, the sudden nature of the Eldridge's loss is its greatest cruelty. Mr. and Mrs. Eldridge experience their trauma in very different ways, and the story demonstrates the connection between the suppression of emotions and mental illness. Losing their daughter has made the Eldridges unable to understand each other's sensory realities on the most basic level. The nurse, however, acts as a force of clinical objectivity, arbitrating the question of whose senses are wrong, the husband's or the wife's. But in the last scene, her objectivity is leveraged for a final scare as she tells us that the ghost car was there all along. The readers must then ask, does the phantom car truly exist? Or has the nurse's empathy made her susceptible to a shared delusion? It's quite an easy thing to do when you're standing on a dark country road as the fog rolls in and two headlights penetrate the mist. Be certain to stay to the side. You never know what kind of monster might be driving. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil DeRitter and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Armin Osman and Alex Garland, fact-checking by Audriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. Hi, listeners, it's Ashley Flowers, and here's a quick reminder to check out my new true crime limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, I'm taking you across the globe to look at 15 of the most notorious crimes from 15 different countries. Some stories are sure to shock, some may leave you stumped, but all are quite the trip. Follow my new series, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.